Heavenly Father, your promises have been thoroughly tested through the ages and have found to be true and good. Lord, we come before you and recognize that we love you and your promises. But we ask that you would send your spirit amongst us this morning and increase our love for you and for your word and for your promises and so that we live godly lives before you, the promise-making God. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, it's good to be back in the pulpit again here at Dremoyne Baptist after being away for two weeks. Uh, It is nice to be amongst the brethren here, uh, my own family here at Dremoyne again, and to be picking up where we left off in Colossians. We've been going through this letter together uh, since basically COVID started, since the pandemic began, and we're coming towards the end now, but still uh, I think we have much to benefit from it, even though it's been a relatively long series uh, that we've been making through the book of Colossians, which is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, a church that he probably never had contact with personally, face-to-face, but nonetheless he cared for and cared about the fact that a heresy seemed to have developed within this town, a heresy that was a false gospel that was leading people away from Jesus Christ. And so this letter is a letter that extols the Lord Jesus Christ in high terms. And we saw that when we looked at chapters 1 and chapters 2 of Colossians, we saw how he is unashamed to say that Jesus is the image of of the invisible God. He is the one who is over all, that Jesus is God himself. And Jesus is the only one who pays for our sins, that he is the one who has cancelled the debt that stands against us because we have rebelled against God, the way we have transgressed his law. And so Jesus alone is the one that we should trust in. We shouldn't trust in our own righteousness, our own good behaviour, so to speak, although we understand from the Bible it is never good behaviour ultimately if it is outside of Christ. It is Jesus who we trust in. And so we looked at that in chapter 1 and 2, and then in chapter 3, we started to see the commands that were being given by the Apostle Paul. As God has acted through Jesus Christ, then we act. He acts first, and then we act. We respond with good works. Because of what God has done, then we start to do things for God. And we've been looking at those, we've been working through that in chapter 3, and we looked at particular groups of people towards the end of chapter 3. We looked at how there were specific commands given to wives and to husbands, to children, to parents, and to masters and servants. And now we come to chapter 4, verse 2, where some instructions are given about the important matter of prayer. Look with me at chapter 4, verse 2, where we have yet another command from the Apostle Paul, and that is, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Here we're commanded to be devoted to prayer. What is prayer? Well, prayer is speaking with God. It's communing with the Almighty. Uh, It's asking him for things. Uh, It would be the the most uh, fitting translation of this word prayer that is here in uh, verse 2 from the Greek. Uh, When we often think of prayer as being where we ask God for things, of course, we can pray prayers of adoration, uh, of praising him. We can pray prayers of confession where we ask specifically for forgiveness of sins. And another type of prayer, of course, is thanksgiving. And this is what we're supposed to be devoted to. We're supposed to be devoted to speaking to God, praising him, asking him for things, and thanking him for things. What does it mean, though, to be devoted to prayer? What does it mean to be devoted? 
Well, we think of when someone is devoted to something or to someone, that they are steadfast towards that thing, that they are attached or focused. If you think of someone that is devoted to someone else, yes, they have all their focus upon that person. If it is a spouse, if we think of a devoted husband or a devoted wife, the other person is the focus of their lives. They love that person and they're focused on them. They're a devoted person. So it means that we are frequent and undistracted in our, our, our attachment to prayer is what is being spoken of here. If you're devoted to someone, it is frequent contact. A devoted wife has frequent contact with her husband and a devoted wife also is undistracted. She has that focus upon her husband and vice versa if it's a devoted husband to his wife. He is frequent in his contact. He wants to be around the wife. And when he is with her, he is undistracted. He is focused upon her. So how do we become devoted in prayer? As we look at this command here, I think all of us in this room feel that this is something that we need to hear commanded to us because it doesn't come naturally to us. That when we look at our prayer lives and we hear that we're supposed to be devoted, that it's meant to be frequent and undistracted, that it's meant to be a constant focus of ourselves to prayer, we feel that we are not devoted to prayer as we should be. So how do we become more devoted to prayer? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us in this verse. He tells us, devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful. If we are watchful, then we'll be devoted to prayer. How do we become devoted by being watchful? Why does watchfulness help? Well, the idea of watchfulness is the idea of a, a man who is a watchman. Uh, this word that is in the Greek here in verse 2, being watchful, is used of those who were in the city who were responsible for keeping an eye out for enemies. It may be enemies coming against the city from outside the city, or even you would have the watchman who would uh, go around the city keeping an eye out for any hoodlums, uh, hooligans running around the streets causing problems and thieves that might be out there that live within the city but are causing problems. So you'd have the watch who would go around, they would be awake, which is another translation of this word, to, it's someone who is awake, they're not asleep, and so they're watching out for danger. And when the danger would come, what was the watchman's job to do? Was it to settle the danger? Was it for him personally to make sure that whatever was coming against the city was dealt with? No, he couldn't. If it's a whole army that suddenly appeared outside the city walls, how's one man going to make sure that the army that is coming is defeated? He sounds the alarm. He rings the bell or whatever mechanism they have in place and raises the city or raises at least the soldiers, the military within the city or the police force that may be there to come and to settle whatever enemy attack is coming on the city. The watchman knows his weakness and so therefore he sounds the alarm. That is his job. He is awake while everybody else is asleep somewhat and so that he can tell people when the enemy is there and wake them up as well. So how does watchfulness help prayer? How does it help us to be watchful? Well, if we're aware of danger, we'll cry out for help to God to send his spirit and help us in our time of need. What kinds of dangers do we face as Christian? What should we be watching out for and praying to God for help? Well, there's physical danger. You think of the suffering and the pain and, of course, the death that we face on this earth. And it's almost a natural response for people to pray in the face of physical danger and the weakness we feel in such danger. Why do people pray 
in bad turbulence on the plane, even if they're not a Christian. It's because they're suddenly very, very weak. All they can do is put on the seatbelt and trust that the pilot knows what he's doing and pray. That's, that's their only other alternative as to doing something else. It is to pray, even if they're not a Christian. Many people have admitted that when they're on the plane and it starts jerking up and down, their minds turn to prayer. And it's the same for the Christian. As we are suddenly conscious of our physical danger or suffering or impending death, what does a watchful Christian do? Turns to the one who has all strength, recognising our weakness in the face of danger and calling upon God for help. So that's one type of danger that we face. Also, we face spiritual danger. Spiritual danger. We face temptation and sin in our lives. And watchful ones recognise our weakness in the face of temptation. And when we see the sin that has come into our lives, we recognise our weakness to deal with it. And so what do we do? We devote ourselves to prayer. We come to God in prayer and ask for his help. We ask for him to send his spirit who can help us in our moment of weakness, of temptation and sin. And of course, we don't just face physical danger and spiritual danger on earth. What is another danger that we face as sinful humans? It's the eternal danger of body and soul. We've been speaking initially about temporal danger of suffering physical pain on this earth and spiritual temporal on this earth, the spiritual problems we face. But of course, we recognise that all of us who have sinned against God, are in danger of having our body and soul eternally tormented in the fires of hell. Even if we're saved ourselves, this is something we should watch out for. Why? Because we should be concerned about others around us. We're watchful for them. Remember the watchman? He watches out for his own skin, of course, and sounds the alarm. He calls out to God... That's what the prayerful Christian does, the watchful Christian does. But he's also there to sound the alarm for the sake of everybody else. And that's what the Christian does. He is watchful for the souls of those around him, his neighbours, his friends, his family, his work colleagues. He sounds the alarm. He calls upon God to save them, to save them from the eternal danger of both body and soul. Now, are such dangers likely in this world and in the next well, what are the sources of such danger? How do these dangers come of physical suffering, of temptation, the sin, the spiritual dangers, and, of course, the eternal danger of body and soul? Well, the Bible warns us to watch out for the ones who bring such dangers to us. And the first one, which we should note most of all, is, of course, Christ, is the greatest source of danger for sinful humans. And Jesus himself even uses this very same word that is used here in chapter 4, verse 2, to say to watch out for him. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 42, he says, Keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. He is the source of danger, because he is the one who on judgment day will be sending those who have rejected him to hell. And so even if we've reconciled with Jesus... We watch out for Christ's return, praying fervently for those around us who are unbelievers because we know that Christ is a sure and certain source of danger for them if he returns and they are unsaved. And so we call upon God to send his spirit and regenerate their hearts so that they are saved on that last day. 
So one source of danger, the greatest source of danger, the certain source of danger for sinful humans is, of course, Christ himself. Second source, well, in the Bible, this same word is used in reference to Satan. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Be self-controlled and alert, or watch would be the translation of that word, uh, the same word we have here in verse 2 of chapter 4 of Colossians. Your enemy, why should we be self-controlled and watch Uh, According to Peter, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Satan is a source of danger for us. And so what does God warn us to do through the Apostle Peter? Watch out for him. Be awake and call out for help. Satan is out for your blood, both physically and spiritually. If you're unsaved, then of course he wants you to go into torments for eternity. He is out for your blood even if you are a Christian. He doesn't want you alive in this world. He wants to cause you physical suffering. We see that uh, in the book of Job. He wanted to cause physical suffering to Job as well. And of course the spiritual torment that comes upon Job as his so-called friends come around him and say all kinds of mean things to him. Satan's around with that. And so we need to watch out for him. He is a source of danger for us. And so we should be devoted to prayer and asking God for help. What's another source? Well, of course, the world. The world itself. Sinful world is out there and it is out to attack us. And Paul warns, the Apostle Paul warns, using this same word of watch in Acts chapter 20 when he's speaking to the church in Ephesus. He says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you. And will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw disciples after them. He's saying that within the church, people will come in and they will attack the Christians. And so what does he say? So be on your guard, or another translation of that same word, it's the same Greek word, is watch. So watch. We're meant to watch out and therefore pray. Because the hostile world, it doesn't just stay out there. It comes in here too. And so we need to be devoted to prayer as we're conscious that someone in the pew next to you may actually start to hurt you. Of course, people outside the church, you've got to pray about them too, but you have to be aware of it, that the world infiltrates the church. We know that our danger is certain because of Christ. We know that our danger can be certain because of Satan and the world. What's the fourth one? Whenever we talk about the dangers we face and the sources of them, we talk about the Satan, we talk about the world, and what else do we talk about? Our own flesh. Our own flesh. That is a source of danger for us as well. And the Lord Jesus warns of this. He warns of this to his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he tells them to watch the same Greek word that we have here in verse 2 of chapter 4, watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. So he's warning them about temptation. Now, what does he say next? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, or the body is weak. Now, maybe a reference to our sinful nature there by flesh, maybe a reference to the body itself. It wants to sleep. It doesn't want you to be awake and pray about the things that you should be concerned about, as the apostles should have been praying there in the Garden of Gethsemane, along with the Lord Jesus. Our sinful nature, our body, is out to cut our own throat. So what do we need to do? We need to watch, as Jesus commands us to. And what do we do when we watch and are aware of such danger? 
We pray. We're devoted to prayer because we see the danger that comes through our own flesh. We see the danger that comes through the world. We see the danger that comes through Satan. And we see the danger that comes to those who reject Christ through Jesus Christ himself. We see the danger that he brings to them. So what is a praying Christian like? What is a a Christian who is devoted to prayer like? Well, he's like a man who sits up in his bedroom during the night. He knows that he ultimately will be safe because he's made friends with the king. The king's not going to come against him in the night. He's repented of his sin. He was once a rebel against the king of the city, but he's repented of his sin. And the king has welcomed him with open arms and forgiven him of his sin and cancelled his debt that stood against him. But he knows that the king is pleased to call him to live in a hostile place during the night. That the king has said, I want you to stay during the night in this hostile place. But I promise you that I am just a call away and my army is just a call away if you call upon me. Whenever any danger comes, I want you to stay up watching for it and then call upon me for help. And so the watchful man, he sits up in his bedroom, phone in hand, ready to call the king's commander, the king and his army. And why does he do it? Well, he knows that his own family is not to be trusted. His own flesh cannot be trusted. So he stays up and watches, ready to call upon the king. Why does he sit up? He knows that there are wild animals outside his house. There are wolves out there. There is a roaring lion that is Satan. And so he can't bear to sleep. He has to stay up and watch. And also he knows that members of his own community, the city that he lives in, the world, that that little world that he's in, they're out for him as well. And so he needs to stay up and watch. And so he's there watching. And whenever he sees a danger, whenever he hears a roar outside, whenever he hears someone moving around in the house making suspicious noises, whenever he hears someone outside his house the clatter of, of soldiers' feet that might be out there or robbers who are coming against him, a neighbouring army. He's ready there to hear it and then to call upon the king. He stays awake and at the first sign of danger, he calls for backup from the king. And that is what we are like if we are Christians. We are watchful for the constant dangers and we don't ignore them. So many people just ignore the dangers that are there. That's what most of the world is going about today. They're ignoring the danger that Jesus Christ is to them, that Satan is to them, that the world is to them, that their own flesh is to them. But the Christian is not ignoring the dangers. He is watchful for them. And when he sees them, he is devoted in prayer to God. He is steadfast. He is regular. He is frequent in his prayer and undistracted when he calls upon God for help because he knows how serious the situation actually is. And so if we are a Christian who is watchful, we will be devoted to prayer. We won't be like those watchmen that are described in Isaiah 56, that passage that we had read for us earlier, where it says, Israel's watchmen are blind. They all lack knowledge. They are all mute dogs. They cannot bark. They lie around and dream. They love to sleep. That is not the Christian. He does not love to sleep. He is not like a mute dog that cannot bark. 
He is not one who lacks knowledge. He is not blind. He is awake, and his eyes are seeing the danger. And so, therefore, he calls upon God in prayer because he knows his own weakness. He can't fight these things on his own. So he calls upon God to send his spirit to help them. So if you want to be devoted to prayer, what do you need to do? You need to be watchful for the dangers that are around. What else is the encouragement there for us to be devoted in prayer? Well, it's in verse 2 as well. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful and thankful. How else can we be devoted to God in prayer? It's by being thankful. What can we thank God for in prayer? Well, it's for all the times that he's rescued us by his spirit from previous dangers. If a watchman sees danger and then he rings the bell and the city is aroused and the soldiers come and they deal with whatever enemy is within the gates, then what would the watchman do afterwards? He would thank the soldiers for coming and helping him out, particularly if he was ringing the bell for a while, wondering, is anyone hearing this? Is anyone going to come? When the soldiers finally come and they sort out the lion that is there, he would say, thank you. I thought I was going to have to take on that beast by myself. And so he comes and he thanks. And he sends thanks to the king and the king's commander. And that is what we do if we are Christians. We come and we thank God for rescuing us from the dangers that we've been in. We thank him, whether it be rescuing him from physical danger, like a virus or a car crash. We thank him for helping us fight sin and temptation that Satan and the world and even our own flesh has brought upon us. And we thank God, of course, for saving us from hell. And every time someone else is saved from hell, we thank God for his mercy. And so if we are conscious of how good God has been to us, we can't help but pray to him, be devoted in prayer, praying prayers of thanksgiving. So if you want to be devoted in prayer, you should be watchful and you should be thankful. And then, of course, the devotion to prayer will come. And if we're not devoted to prayer, if you look at this verse and you see, I don't think that describes me. I'm not devoted to prayer as I should be. What does that mean? Well, it means that you're not watchful and you're not thankful for one thing. It means that you haven't been as watchful against the dangers that are out there and you haven't been as thankful for the many, many good things that God has given you. But the ultimate problem, I don't think, is actually a lack of watchfulness or thankfulness. If you're not devoted to prayer, what is the root, the core problem that you do not come to God with steadfast prayer, with frequent prayer, with undistracted prayer? What is the core problem? Is it watchfulness and thankfulness? Well, some people are very watchful. Some people are very conscious of the dangers that are around, but do not pray. Have you met these people? Unbelievers. They can be very anxious all the time and worry, 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 worry about dangers. And the slightest thing that comes along that you may not even think is a danger, even as a Christian, you go, they are so upset by it and they worry, worry, worry. But do they pray? No. They're watchful, but not devoted to prayer. Same with Thanksgiving. Some people are very thankful, but not devoted to God in prayer. You can even buy these gratitude journals where you go through and every day it's got there and, and you can have it for 365 days for the year. You get one at the beginning of the year and every day you list down all the things that you're thankful for at the end of the day. And it has some little inspirational quote that doesn't come from Jesus at the top of the page 
And there's been studies on this and the importance of being thankful each day and how it can lift your spirits. These people are thankful in their gratitude journals, but they're not devoted to prayer. So what's the root problem of why we are not devoted to prayer as we should be? Is it watchfulness? Is it thankfulness? No, because we see that people can be watchful and thankful and not be devoted to prayer. The trouble with our prayer life, ultimately, is unbelief. Is unbelief. If you truly believe God can help you in danger, you will pray. If you truly believe that God has helped you in danger, you will pray prayers of thanksgiving. The trouble with our prayer life is we do not believe in God as we should. What don't we believe about God? Well, we don't believe he has the power to save us by his spirit. If we really believed that God is the powerful creator of all things, and he's the sustainer, he's the one who provides the breath you take, the blood coursing through your veins. He is the one who provides all things around you and sustains all things down to the atoms that make, you, that make up your body. Then, of course, you would pray to him and ask for his help in temptation. What else don't we believe? We don't believe that he has the power if we're not devoted in prayer. We don't believe that God lovingly will save us by his spirit. If we really believe God is loving, we would ask him immediately for the healing of a sick child, wouldn't we? If we think that he is our Father in heaven who loves us, then of course we would come to him in prayer. We'd be devoted to him in prayer for the need of someone that we love. We don't believe that he has power. We don't believe that he is loving. And I think when we're not devoted to prayer, we don't believe that he is just and true in the way that he has spoken about punishing people for eternity in hell who reject his name. If we truly believe God will send our atheistic parent to hell because of their rejection of Christ, then what will we be devoted to? We'll be devoted to prayer. We'll come to God knowing that he has truly promised that this is what the end of those who reject him. And he is a just God. He does not let sin go unpunished. And so if we truly believe that, then of course we'll pray day after day after day for the person that we love and knows is continuing to reject God Almighty. Why does the watchman ring the bell in danger? Why does the watchman ring the bell? He's standing there on the city wall and he sees the danger. Why does he ring? It's because he believes the king's army is there and stands ready to come if the danger is present. And so he rings. He's not wasting his time. If he thought the army would never show up, would he bother ringing? No, he'd run away probably. But instead he rings because he believes, he trusts the army will come. And that is how we should be as well. We should be ones who trust in God's power, God's love, his justice and his truth. And so of course we ring the bell because we know he stands ready to help us. Why aren't people praying more in a pandemic? Because they don't believe God can help them. They don't believe in God and they don't believe he can help. And so they don't pray. And then secondly, what don't we believe about God? Well, if we're not devoted to him in prayer, 
we show that we don't believe that God has powerfully and lovingly saved us by his spirit. Or we thank God more. We don't believe he has acted. And so we don't come to him in prayer, thanking him for his help. Why does a watchman thank the army when it arrives up? He rings the bell. He trusted they would come. They came. They sorted out the problem. And what does he do? He thanks them because he believes that they actually helped. He doesn't think it was a freak occurrence that the lion suddenly went away. No, he recognises that the army scared it off, and so he thanks the army. And that's how we are. If we're devoted to God in prayer, we are recognising that he is the one that solved the problem. Yes, it was solved. And so we come to God and we say, thank you. You're the one that did it. It wasn't a freak occurrence that Satan went away. It was God who showed up in response to my prayer, and so I thank him accordingly. And so if we... Do not see ourselves devoted to God in prayer. We have to ask, where is our faith in God? Where is our faith? That's the core problem. Where is our faith? Do we believe in God? A lack of prayer in someone's life is a sure sign that that person is an unbeliever. An unbeliever. I meet people all the time who say, oh, I'm a good person, I don't hurt others, of course I'm okay, and I want to know what do they do about the relationship with God, not just their relationship with other men, their relationship with God. The Ten Commandments, you look at them, the first four concern our relationship with God, the next six concern your relationship with your fellow men. Yes, great if you're keeping the, the, the last six of the Ten Commandments, five through ten, great, wonderful. What about the first four and your relationship with God? What about your prayer life? And if you're not praying, what does that say about you? It shows you're out of relationship with the God who will judge you on the last day. And so you will not meet him as a friend, as a father, as a brother. You will meet him as an enemy, as someone who's never communed with him, and so I encourage you, if you find that you're prayerless this morning, that your life is a life of prayerlessness, come to God now. Ask him for forgiveness, for not praying to him, for not having a relationship with him as you should. And ask for forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Christ forgives us from all unrighteousness, including prayerlessness. You can have had a whole life of not uttering very many prayers to God at all, if any. And God will forgive that if you come to Christ now and ask for forgiveness. But if we are a Christian, and we're prayerless, we're not as prayerful as we should be, we're not devoted to prayer. We pray, but we're not devoted. Well, that's a sure sign that you're a very weak Christian. Can we really claim to believe God is all-powerful and loving if we don't call upon him? Can we claim to believe in him if we don't pray to him? as we should, if we're not devoted to him? Can we really claim that I think God is all-powerful, but whenever a problem comes along, you try to sort it out yourself? And you're never thankful to him for the many good things he has done for you. And does not unbelief even explain why prayer meetings are the most rejected meetings of all in the world? I've been a pastor for over 10 years now, and I've recognised that prayer meetings are not just rejected by unbelievers 
a lot of believers, you announce a prayer meeting and they will run out the door. They may even be there for something else. As soon as the prayer meeting starts, they leave. Or they're coming for something after the prayer meeting, but they don't show up for the prayer meeting. Why is that? Is it not unbelief in the power of a prayer meeting? If we really believe that God is there and we call upon a God who is powerful in prayer and loving, would we not come more to prayer meetings than we do? Would we not value them as the most important meetings in the world ultimately rather than the most despised of all meetings? If we really believe God will send unbelievers all around us to hell unless they repent by God sending his spirit in response to our prayers, would we not come to him in prayer more privately but also corporately? So what's the best advice I've got for you today to motivate you to be devoted to prayer? Warn you of dangers? Well, I've done that. Remind you of what God has done for you? Well, I've done that as well. But what is the best thing I can do? It's to remind you of the truth about God himself so that you know more of him and then trust him more. It's interesting where this command to pray comes in the book of Colossians. Where does it come? After God has acted, then we act, as I said at the beginning. After Paul tells us about God himself, then he tells us to pray. And so if we find we're not devoted to God in prayer, it is not by muscling up ourselves, it is by going back and meditating upon who God is, particularly what he's revealed in chapters 1 and 2 of Colossians. Passages like Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Turn back with me there now. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Speaking about the Lord Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. We've seen he's the creator of all things on earth and in heaven. He is the one who is before them in verse 17, and in him all things hold together. He sustains all things. And then not only is he the creator, not only is he the sustainer, he's also the redeemer. Continue with me in verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. If you want to be more prayerful, if you want to be devoted to prayer, then know this about Jesus and you can't help but call upon him. Because you know he's the one who made everything. He's the one who keeps you going day after day. He's the one who has redeemed you. Of course you're going to be devoted to him in prayer. Of course you're going to be watchful. Of course you're going to be thankful. Because you call upon an almighty God. Devotion to prayer starts with devotion to God. Prayer is not an end in itself. Prayer is communion with God, and that's what we should want. 
because we know how wonderful he is. It's not a waste of time to spend time with the God who made you in prayer. So if you know and love God, your faith will grow. And of course, you'll be devoted to God in prayer. Know Jesus. Know the Father. Know the Holy Spirit better. And you will pray. Cry out to him, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And then you recognize that you are prayerless and you're asking him to help you overcome that prayerlessness within you as your unbelief is overcome. You won't see prayer as a duty anymore and a burden and a pain, but you will see it as a joy to be devoted to God in prayer because you're talking with the God you love. You believe in him, but you also love him. You're speaking to the one who made you, sustains you, and saved you. And so, of course, you ask for God's spirit to come and help you in whatever danger you face. And, of course, you thank God for the spirit's powerful help in yesterday's dangers and the day before danger and right back to even your conversion day, that he saved you that day. Thank him for your conversion every day. Thank him for the things that he used pre-conversion as well to bring you to himself. And so thanksgiving becomes a most enjoyable thing to do. I've actually found over the last year one of the most wonderful ways to unwind. I've, over, over my life, I've tried to, particularly when you, you've had a tough day and you're trying to unwind before you go to bed so your mind doesn't race when you go to sleep, I've found that the best thing I can do is go for a walk in the cooler night air, and thank God for many things. I'm not allowed to pray prayers of confession. I'm not allowed to pray prayers of supplication, ask him for anything tomorrow. No, I'm only allowed to thank him for things. And so I have your names on a list. I always use lists, don't I? I have your names on a list, and I thank him for you. I have another list of different things that he's done for me. I have a list of things about him that I can thank him for, that he has revealed those things to me. It's the most wonderful way to unwind after a long day is to come to God and thank him. You could write it in a gratitude journal as well. You don't need to go for a walk. But a gratitude journal that is towards God rather than just into the emptiness. I'm just thankful. Come to God and experience that joy of thanking him for the many good things he has done for you. Let's come to God now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you as the God of power, the God of holiness, the God of justice, the God of goodness, the God of truth. We ask that you would forgive us for not believing in you as we should and therefore neglecting prayer. We are not as prayerful as we should be. We are not devoted to prayer. And it's because our faith is so weak. So, Lord, we ask that you would help us to believe more. We come before you and say, we believe. Help us overcome our unbelief. And help us to be more watchful. And help us to be more thankful. So that we are more devoted to prayer. Asking for your Spirit's help in all the dangers that we face. And thanking you for the help that you have sent us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.